Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel 6. 2 Samuel 6, we are slowly working our way through the life of David. Started last year, taking a few breaks, but we are back to now that David is king. And we want to pick up where we left off last week, where David is wanting to move the tabernacle to the new capital city of Jerusalem. 2 Samuel 6, you'll find it in your pew Bibles on page 279. As always, if you do not have a Bible, you're welcome to take that home with you. Let me know. We'll get you uh, an even nicer Bible to you. Then you'll have two Bibles, and you can give one away or put one in your car for whenever you're stuck in Frankfurt traffic or something like that. I don't know. With that, if you will, stand with me out of reverence for God's holy word. We want to start in verse 12. We'll go down to verse 19. The writer of 2 Samuel writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was told to King David, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and all the things belong to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. And David danced for the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. As the ark of the Lord came to the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. They brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people and the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we ask every Sunday for the same thing, and we ask for the same blessings and transformation, that you would open our entire beings from our heart to our mind, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our entire being, that we, be, we would be transformed by the power of your gospel. But Lord, this is your work, and we ask that today you do that for us, not because we are worthy of it, but because you are that good of a God. And may I decrease so you can increase. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Be seated. I know we live in an age where politics takes over everything, but there is one thing I love about politics, particularly presidential politics, and that is um, um, all the like verbal mistakes that presidents seem to make uh, that I just find fascinating, whether uh, it's the current president or more recent presidents. But I think the president that um, I enjoyed uh, reading some of these and watching some of these clips was without a doubt the king of this, and that is President George W. Bush. Uh, whenever he was president, I think he's a second term, my brother, and this sounds like something my brother would get me, a daily calendar of what were called Bushisms. Anyone remember these? And they were real quotes, um, and, with, and, and I think everything was cited, and these were real quotes that just made no sense. But President Bush, love him or hate him, he, he didn't do very well in front of the camera. He's more of a backstage guy. In front of the camera, he would freeze with those big old eyes, right? And I want to share with you my two favorite Bushisms. I didn't have to look these up. I did make sure they were right, but, but these are the two I just love. My number one, here it is. You may need to write this down in the back of your Bible. It will change your life. I believe that man and fish can coexist 
peacefully. I love that. I don't know why I love that, but I do. And the fact he said it in a campaign stop makes it even better. Because there's people there thinking, that's the guy I'm going to elect right there after that. (laughs) That's the guy. That's it. That's what I've been waiting for, finally. The other one is better if you watch it. And he is, he is asked a question or some comment, I'm sure, and, and he's trying to say, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. But it came out something like, you know the old saying, you know, that Texas draw, fool me once, shame, shame on me, fool, fool me a second time. And it's a, uh, you know, just don't do it again, right? That's how he got out of it, right? I love that. Just every time, it just, just gets me so excited. And every time I, I read this passage this week, particularly as it starts out, David has that moment, right? You remember when, when in last week, David has this bright idea. And ever men in leadership get bright ideas, watch out, something bad's going to happen. His idea is, I'm going to get the Ark of the Covenant, a good thing. Remember, good intentions. And then he's going to bring it into to, to the capital city because no longer in his administration will the proper worship of God be relegated to a city no one ever visits. No, it's going to be the center of his administration. It's going to be the center of Jewish life. So he, so he grabs the boys, right? And he says, we're going to go get that thing. And he did everything the wrong way. And calling the people to listen to the word and the will of God, he violated the will and word of God. That's the irony of the story. And you remember that at one point, they're carrying it up on, on the cart. It, it, the ox trips, and, and, the, and the ark is about to tip over. And Uzzah puts his hands up, and God strikes him dead. And David goes through this moment of anger to realization he's in the presence of God, and he turns to fear. And what David does, he says, what was I thinking? What was I thinking that, that I could come to the presence of God like this? And so he, he puts the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. You, you see the reference there. We read it in verse 12. It comes from verse, verse, verse 11. And he said, I'm just going to leave it there. I'm not going to touch it. That, that is something that, that you just don't tread on lightly here. Well, as, as we open up here, what, what is it that, that David discovers is that God's presence is the source of blessing. And that's why it opens up with, with the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom. And in this moment, that, that realization of fear, that the fear of God, is that is the key to the blessing of God. And so there's two things you need to see in this passage. The first thing we see is worship. Worship. Proximity to Christ produces joyful worship. I'm willing to bet that when you and your significant other, uh, your spouse, I, I, these days I need to be clear on those things. Your spouse um, is your first dating, right? You were going through that very gross stage, right? When you, you couldn't keep your hands off each other. That's gross, isn't it? I mean, just yuck. No one wants to see that, right? No one cares, right? No, no, no one cares. But you couldn't keep your hands off each other. You, you had to be with each other. And when you weren't with each other, you're calling each other and you're checking in on, on each other. I remember when my wife and I were dating. My, my, my dad or someone once said, you know, I was calling her phone or we were out you know, on a date or something. He goes, don't you see her all day at school? Right? I was like, 
Well, no, we don't have the same classes. They, 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 they give us like two minutes in between classes. Stop by the locker and get to the next class. So it's, howdy, how are you? How was your class? Good, good, good. All right, move on from there, right? And, 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 and that was it. But I remember, d- 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 you've seen each other, right? The reason I go to work, my father didn't say, is so that I don't have to, never mind. Um, anyways, um, but, but, but you, you, you're in this puppy love stage and you just, you have to be together. But before long, as, as, as that dating stage turns to engagement stage and engagement stage turns to the honeymoon stage and the honeymoon stage turns into raising children stage and you just keep going and going and going. And before long, life catches up with you, doesn't it? Your job gets stressful, kids rob you of peace, quiet and sleep, and eventually you lose all that same affection you once took for granted. And if you're not careful in your relationship, routine can give way to callous love. Now, for some here, I'm probably describing your marriage, but for most of us, I'm afraid, I'm describing your worship. Maybe you had that experience at youth camp or vacation Bible school or that particular Sunday that just rings in your ear where God grips your heart and you are on fire for Jesus and, and you're ready to, to, to take the world by storm and, and there's nothing better in the world than Jesus. And then one Sunday gave way to the next. One Monday gave way to the next. And then eventually it just becomes routine. We gather for worship because that's what Christians said we're supposed to do. And before long, routine can give way to callous love. And probably what sticks out most to us in in this passage, particularly in these opening verses, is not that David dance or what he wore, and we'll get to those things. But there's this weird phrase here at the end of verse verse 12. Notice there, David went and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with what? Rejoicing. Rejoicing. When was the last time the worship of Christ risen from the dead made you smile? Ever? Has it been recent? You see, once David grasps that God is the God he ought to fear, he then grasps that the one he fears is the one who blesses. And when he discovers this, this creator, almighty God who fills him with all, that proximity to him is the key to blessing. You see, for those who live in disobedience, the presence of God is a thing to fear. But for those who live and pursue holiness, the presence of God is a thing of joy. And notice that David approaches, his approach to transferring the Ark of the Covenant has changed dramatically starting verse 13. When those who bore the Ark of God had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened animal. Now, can you imagine how long this worship service is? My lands didn't even stop for Cracker Barrel, did they? I mean, this is, this is rough. You take six steps, one, two, right, you keep going, and then you stop. And then you got to go kill a fattened calf, got to go kill, kill an oxen. All right, boys, let's get ready to again. One, two, and you keep going. All right, we got to kill another one, right? And then six more steps, another one. Now, this seems redundant to us, but it's quite a different from what he did before. Again, he said, hey, boys, go grab your cart. Let's load up the pickup, and we're just going to go. But now it's very different. He's developed this very complicated plan where everything is centered on the glory of God. 
Every six steps, the, the royal motorcade will stop for this elaborate service. Now, this obviously will make him late for dinner. I mean, can you imagine how long you have to wait for that restroom break, right? Right in the middle of service and the preacher keeps going and going and going. Well, this thing is going for miles, six steps at a time. I mean, this is slower than the federal government. Oh, wait, this is the federal government. It makes sense now, I guess. But the reason behind this elaborate service is, should be obvious. The Uzzah narrative demonstrated the true heart of David and his people. The, the, the presence of God is not a right, it is a privilege. And we dare not approach the presence of God lightly. You see, David understands that one cannot approach God unclean covered in sin and shame and brokenness and guilt. And the only answer to that is atonements. So they come and make themselves ready. The priests gather to, to, to lift the ark up on its poles and they take six steps and it's a reminder, we are here because of the blood of the lamb. And so they stop and they, they make their sacrifices and, and then they raise it up again. They take a few more steps and they're confronted again. We're in the presence of God and I am unholy, treading on holy ground. And we're only here by the blood of the Lamb. Atonement was the central power behind their worship. Not only they do this, David responds this whole time. There in verse 14, the part of the more memorable part of the story. David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, it's clear how David is dancing, right? He is dancing. We'll, we'll get to that, Southern Baptist. But he's dancing with all his might. And the image that comes to mind is David is dancing like a middle-aged father of teenage daughters chaperoning their school dance, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, that guy, right? You know, his daughters won't be talking to him anytime soon, but it was worth it, right? He's dancing like that guy. Dancing with all his might. Now, you know, the text emphasizes two things. Two things. You're not getting out early, and it's Irma Jean's son's fault. So, uh, two things. <laughs> if, if I could just... You know, the deacons need a break every once in a while, blaming them for everything. Text emphasizes two things. Number one, David's dance. Now, I know Baptists believe it must be a sin to dance because they read it... Um, in a book from, 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 from way back when. But if you read the Bible, it's all over the place. Psalm 149.3, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Psalm 154, praise him with tambourine and dance, praise him with strings and pipe. Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time to weep, a time to laugh, time to mourn, a time to dance. That's, of course, your Southern Baptists. You know, it is strange how we Baptists claim we take the Bible literally, but act as if true worship is, is limited to two instruments, a hymn book and a scalp, right? Have you ever noticed that? You're not going to find that in the Bible. I mean, the first time I read Psalm 150, it lists all the instruments. I'm like, string instruments, a guitar, cymbals, a mere drums, right? I'm like, where has this been? But wouldn't it be nice to bypass a worship service and just have true, genuine worship as the people of God for a change? No doubt this gift of expression can be abused by fallen man, but fear of abuse is not an acceptable excuse for ignoring the word of God. The text applauds David's dancing with all his mights. It's a good thing. And the criticism of his dancing, when it comes to his wife, we'll spend more time on her next week. That's the, that's, that's the part that's criticized here. 
not the fact that David danced. Now, we need to notice here, this isn't liturgy. This isn't ritual. This is a man whose heart is on fire. This is a man who's in the presence of God. And God has welcomed him in. Wouldn't it be nice to experience this sort of thing? So we see that David danced. The second thing the text wants to, introduce, to emphasize is David's dress. Now, there's some debate here. Uh, Alistair Begg jokingly said that you can, you can create two denominations, those who think David was not well-dressed and those who say David was well-dressed here. And you can take either side. So one side is he only wore a linen ephod, which isn't uh, much covering, or that he, he actually had something underneath it. Uh, Warren Wiersbe quotes 1 Chronicles 15, 27. It's a parallel of this passage. David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, as also were all the Levites who were carrying the ark and the singers, um, uh, so on and so forth. So, so, so the Wiersbe argues, and he's, he might be right, um, that he was actually wearing his royal garb underneath the linen ephod, much the same way that the priest would wear garb under the ephod. The ephod is a priestly ornament, of course. But uh, uh, so, so regardless of none of that really, really matters, um, we are meant to see the significance of the ephod, not the royal linen. That's why the ephod is, is placed there. David the king is wearing the dress of a priest. Again, we've talked about this recently, particularly on Wednesday nights. This is a common pattern in David's um, rule. He is no Levite, yet in the spirit of Samuel he is dressed as one. After all, is he not in the presence of God? And all the things on the ephod, the stones and everything else, uh, uh, all have important symbolism. Now, we get distracted by what he wears rather than why he wears it. Uh, whenever I was a, a minister in a rural community, because I grew up in a, in a rural community, and every time, uh, I, you know, I, I would occasionally you know, help out on a farm or something, and just, just out and about. If, 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 uh, it always struck me that every pastor had to wear a suit and tie, right? I, I assumed they all slept in them, okay? And, and I always thought that just was weird in a farming community. So whenever I pastored a rural community, I had a simple rule. If I'm going to a farm, I'm not going to wear something I'm afraid to get dirty. Now, that seemed like a, a pretty common sense thing. Because let me tell you, if you want to get to know a farmer, you'll help them farm. That's, it's the only time they're going to get chatty, okay, is when they're doing their work. Now, if you show up in a three-piece suit, uh, you, you just got at the local rental, you ain't going to get on that dirt tractor or wagon. Ain't going to do it. And I remember that just made sense to me. So I'll wear more comfortable shoes. I'll probably wear some jeans and, and a more comfortable shirt. You know, nothing, nothing inappropriate, but, but something because I, my attention here is to give my attention to you, right? And we're here on the farm. And, and that's how I got involved. And I would set the back over here. We'd, we, we'd take a tour of all the cattle and see all, the, all that sort of stuff. We ain't going to do that in a brand new pair of, of, of dress shoes, are you? I mean, can you imagine if your mother found out you were out there in the cow pasture with them nice shoes on? Right, that made sense to me. But not everyone agreed with that. And that's all fine and, fine and dandy. But we, we, we associate dress. The what matters more than the why. And we do that here. We get bothered by what he's wearing without asking, why is he wearing it? And the answer is simply that, that this is what a priest wore when he walked into the presence of God. And so no wonder then David wears his ephod. As, a, as, as, as the royal priest entering God's presence, and the closer he gets to God, the, the, the more free he is to worship. That's the why. Now, notice in verse 15, this true worship is 
communal, not just personal. Verse 15 there. David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the alarm. It's not like there's this one guy who, who you know, he's, he's got his earpiece in, he's just letting it go. And everyone else is staring at him. No, everyone in the presence of God responds with worship. And those who suggest you can, oh, I can just serve Jesus my way in the comfort of my lazy boy, you know, before the game comes on, of course, that's, that's, that, that works for me. You're never going to find that pattern anywhere in the Bible. Worship is best when it is shared with others in communion. We bring all of our brokenness before the throne of God. We bring all of our weakness before the throne of God. And we cling to the cross. The real reason we can even approach Him. This is one of the primary reasons why the church exists. We don't exist to tickle ears. We're not here to measure our self-worth and spiritual self-importance. We're not here to meet some quota. We're not here to catch up on gossip. We're not here because this is the best option. We are here to worship together as weak but redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ must be the center of it all. So if you're reading this passage with a sense of longing, I think you're reading it in in the right way. Let the Spirit of God stir your heart to desire to worship like this, to dance as David danced. You see, the point of the passage isn't the dancing, the clothes, the shouting, the music. The point is David's heart. He worships with abandonment because he no longer fears man. He fears only God. He cares less about his title and more about his Savior. So, so there you get the worship part of it. David is just letting it loose. But that worship leads to the second key point we see in this passage, and that is the word blessing. Something strange happens when they arrive in Jerusalem. They all separate, of course, right? And uh, some went over to the Cracker Barrel. Some went over to the Cattleman's. Some tried out the new barbecue place, you know. And, you know, some even, even some went to the West Side. (laughs) Those lesser Christians. But, you know, they still went out, you know. And um, some had family over because their wife insisted to invite them over against your, your better judgment and will. Right? Everyone sort of went, no, 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 that's, that's not what you have going on here at all, is it? Something strange is happening here. The ark has arrived. God's presence is with his people permanently. And David does two things in this text. The first thing you see in verse 17, he blesses the Lord with worship. More worship. As the ark came to the city of David, Right, McCall's going to criticize. We'll see her next week. Verse 17, And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings for the Lord. Now notice we have a contrast here, right? You get the, you get the shouting and the dancing and the celebration. And then you, 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 you get the front row Baptists. Let's be honest, right? You get the front row Baptists who come to every business meeting and they always have something to complain about. That's McCall, right? So you're going to get, you're going to get this contrast, right? Those who are celebrating that God's presence is here and one who could do without it. Why? Because, because uh, the way they think things should, should go isn't being recognized, right? That's McCall. Again, we'll get to her, Lord willing, that next week. So David, then, everyone with him, the, the worship servant is an ending. Now you're going to get this, this service where more atonement is being made. That's after every six steps, atonement. Every six steps, atonement. Now you've come into to the house of God, the tabernacle, and they're going to offer more sacrifices. So he, he blesses 
the Lord with, with worship. More worship leads to more worship. And those who think, well, heaven must be born if all we're going to do is worship have never actually read the Bible, nor have they ever encountered the living God. The second thing, David blesses the people with generosity. Immediately after worship, David blesses the people. Notice there, starting verse 18, when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts and distributed among all the people, the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, cake of bread, a portion of meat, and a cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed each to his house. Notice the redundancy in this passage. It's something that always sticks out to me whenever uh, an, a writer is using words that no, don't need to be there. By the way, that's rule number one in good writing. Don't use words that you don't need. And the Bible does it all the time. And it's always worth noting. Notice verse 18, he blessed the people. Who, who's the people? All the people. Why? Because he said all of Israel was with him, right? He blessed the people. Verse 19, he distributed it among all the people. Well, of course, right? If, if he's blessing the people and he's going to distribute, it's going to go to all the people. We got that. Thank you, writer of 2 Samuel. Verse 19, the whole multitude of Israel. We got it. It's all the people. Okay, I get the message. Move on, please. Let's get to some action here. And then in verse 19 also, both men and women. Of course, despite what you may have seen on CNN, everyone is either male or female. All the people, male or female, men and women. We get this. And then verse, at the end of verse 19, all the people departed. Guess what? This was a blessing to all the people in case you couldn't get the message some were male some were female they were all Israelites they were all people right? it, it's just redundance I wonder what it could be that they, that the writer of this story is trying to emphasize any thoughts true worship leads to true blessing notice this isn't a blessing of the politically connected this isn't a blessing of the rich elites this isn't a blessing of his administration this is a blessing to all who would come. And one wonders if we are at the same time seeing a foreshadowing of Christ in the wilderness, blessing all the people as David is, is handing out food and says, look, Lord's presence is the key to blessing. And he is here and we are a blessed people here. All who would come receive the blessing of God. You can see Christ too. Here are people hungering and thirsting. And he says, I will give you bread, but there's a better bread here. My presence is the key, the blessing. The proximity to God benefits others. Notice again, it's not just David saying, all right, now, now my 401k is gonna, gonna climb. I think he's saying, no, 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 if, if I'm near God, I'm a blessing to other people. Want to know why your spiritual life is faltering? Distance from God. Want to know why your marriage is suffering? Distance from God. Want to know why your home life is breaking? Distance from God. Want to know why your emotions are faulting? Distance from God. Want to know why your mental health is failing? Distance from God. Want to know why your burdens are, 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 are weighing you down? It is distance from God. Proximity, God, leads to joyous worship and contagious generosity. Distance from God leads to rigid ritualism and stingy entitlements. If only I could think of a culture that that would describe. The closer we are to Jesus, the better we are as a people to each other. The farther we are from God, the worse we are to each other. You see, this blessing isn't about wealth. It's not about experience. It's not about feelings. It's not about Bible knowledge. It is ultimately about the gospel. 
You see, every step along the way, the people were reminded, we are standing in the presence of God. Why? Because of the blood of the Lamb. We can bless the people because of the blood of the Lamb. Their entire existence Everything about them, their identity was tied to one reality. Though broken, though fallen, though weak, though tired, it's by the blood of the Lamb they move forward. It's by the blood of the Lamb they have access to God. By the blood of the Lamb, they can live with contagious, generous joy. Isn't that what we just sang not too long ago? It's amazing sometimes how a hymn can can really hit you. I hear the Savior say, your strength indeed is small. Shout of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me your all in all. Lord, now indeed I find your power and your alone can change a leper spot and melt this heart of stone. For nothing good have I whereby your grace to claim. I'll wash my garnets white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall repeat. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Can I give you the key to this text? If you want to be radically transformed by the revelation of this text, start this. Every sixth step, think of the cross. Think of the blood of Jesus. And you'll live your life in two ways. Contagious worship and joyous generosity. Having been blessed, you'll be a blessing. Let's pray.